right. Hello and welcome everyone to our latest episode of Multifamily Unpacked. Today we are talking about how AI and automation can unleash your leasing superpowers. But before we dive into the content, I am your host, Jessica Groff. I'm the VP of Product at Funnel Leasing, and I am thrilled to introduce you to two amazing members of our automation team. So if you're wondering what kind of educational or professional background you need to get into the booming world of AI, or maybe you're wondering why you should listen to what these folks have to say, let me tell you a little bit about them. First, our product manager, Mallory Shibley. Mallory has a background in industrial and systems engineering. She joined Funnel with an excellent consulting background, and she brought with her years of experience previously working on AI in the investment banking space. Joining Mallory is James Chrysanthicopoulos, our lead data scientist at Funnel. James has his degree in physics and a minor in mathematics from Worcester Polytechnic Institute. He's also done research projects with MIT's Lincoln Laboratory, Columbia University, and the University of Chicago. Prior to joining Funnel, James was a data scientist at The Orchard. So now that we've introduced our experts, let's jump right into it. Welcome, Mallory and James. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why are we even talking about this right now? Is AI just a sexy topic or does AI matter to the multifamily operators? Now let's come to you first. Thanks for having us. So to hit on your question, why does it matter? AI is for everyone, especially in this day and age. Um, it has applications across all sorts of things, especially where, you know, repeatable tasks exist. Specifically for multifamily operators, you know, they employ so many teams across their properties, they have to juggle a million different things, many of which are repetitive tasks. For example, they have a lot of uh, such a large volume of initial increase from leads coming in that all look relatively similar, asking a lot of the same kinds of questions. Um, but they eventually funnel down to a much smaller percentage of viable leads and then residents. So these agents can have so much more of an impact focusing further down the sales funnel. So somebody can help them with that initial volume, like us. Uh, that's exactly how AI can fit in. Love that. James, how about you? What are your thoughts? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having us again. Um, I would just like to say that, you know, Mally offered uh, an amazing answer, but the only thing I'd like to add to that is I think there's a tendency to view AI as, you know, a very big kind of scary thing, right? You think of Skynet, you think of AI taking away people's jobs, but in reality, it's something that we invented for ourselves to make life better, right? So you think of in the multifamily industry, I think we've all been in that situation where we found the perfect apartment online and we fire off an email but it takes one, two, three days, or maybe we'd never get a response back. But with these technologies that we've deployed and we're developing, you can get a response back that's accurate instantaneously. So I think in this industry and also on many others, it's for our good. Absolutely. Some real value able to be added there. AI is having a moment. It is a current buzzword. I've seen it frequently misused and people are talking about AI when there isn't actually AI involved. Can you two help define AI automation and how large language models like ChatGPT fit into those definitions? James, we'll come to you first here. Sure, absolutely. I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of buzz around these terms right now, but there's also a lot of confusion too, because a lot of these terms overlap, right? So let's start with artificial intelligence. By artificial intelligence, we mean a general term to describe using computers to perform human-like tasks. I think some of the most popular examples historically have been creating bots to play chess or creating a bot to play the game of Go, the famous uh, Chinese board game of Go that achieved expert level uh, performance. But there are many different types of artificial intelligence. For example, there's natural language processing, which is very important in the multifamily industry, as well as image recognition, for example, being able to detect people and objects and images. But there are many different types of methods that can be used. But generally, AI focuses on training a model 
based on data to make novel predictions. So that model is in some sense learning the features or learning the patterns in, in your data. So that's what we mean by artificial intelligence. That's distinct from automation. That's something different. Automation does not involve tra training a model to learn from data, but instead it just takes actions based on certain rules. So in the multifamily industry, for example, sending an email to follow up with a prospect is an example of automation because you're not training a model, but you're saying after X many days, I want to fire off an email. So it's important to keep those two distinct. And then just the final point is, what is a large language model? A large language model is a type of artificial intelligence. It's certainly not the only type of artificial intelligence, but in a large language model, what you do is you train a neural network and neural networks have been around for a very, very long time. Specifically, you train a deep neural network and you feed it just a lot of text that you get from the internet, for example, with Common Crawl or Wikipedia or what have you. And this, these types of models are an example of so-called generative AI because after you've trained the model, then you can predict the sequence of future words and you can use that to generate basically text. Um, examples of large language models include ChatGPT. I think we're all very familiar with that, but also other models like Google's Palm and Meta's Llama. There are other types of natural language processing models, like I mentioned, that include classification and named entity recognition models, as we'll discuss a little bit later. These are distinct from generative AI. These are usually called discriminative models because given a message, you can determine whether or not the message is about, for example, scheduling a tour or renting an apartment. It's able to discriminate between those intents, but not necessarily be able to generate text from that. That's incredibly helpful. Thank you, James. Mal, anything to add? I mean, I always love hearing James talk about this stuff. It's implied in our everyday, but this is a very cool new frame. Um, but anyway, you know, real world multifamily example that might sound familiar to some of our listeners. The difference in automation and AI can be seen in the market today in certain chatbots, for example. So if you've ever, ever interacted with the chatbot where you, you know, have to choose and click buttons and use predefined options, you're actually going down a rule-based click path, which falls under the automation umbrella versus, you know, actually using AI model to understand what the input is saying. So Maybe that gives a little bit of an example. Absolutely. Commonly, commonly confused with each other, but those definitions absolutely help a lot. You know, there's a myth that AI and automation just magically learn and, and get smarter. Can you help us break down that process of training those models, annotating the data to ensure that they get smarter in ways that are actually valuable to multifamily operators and the things that we have to do behind the scenes in order to help our, our models get smarter? Now we're going to come to you first on this one. Yeah, so I'll give a quick overview. AI is only useful if it's actually answering questions that people have versus questions that we imagine renters to have in our applications. So in order to maximize that usefulness, we want to apply it in ways that cover the most ground and not necessarily the ways that, you know, come across as the coolest. To do so, we follow this iterative process. We start with, you know, large amounts of historical conversations, seeing what the most common topics are. You know, for example, if we were just starting from scratch again, we'd be looking at, of course, apartment search, tour scheduling, you know, maybe the pet policy questions. From there, we go and do prioritization exercises, which can start with just simple percentages of how commonly a question comes up. That way we'll know, A, we actually have enough data to set up data sets and train on, and also B, that it'll be impactful upon release. Sometimes this includes, you know, client input and requests. Um, and also in our platform, we actually allow end user feedback on VLA messages. So if they're incorrect or not, or answering the questions, that can also be really useful here. To the next step, setting up these tasks for our annotators, talk them through the use cases and the instructions and set them loose. Once we get that back from them, the annotated data, we train the model, we fine tune, test it against our you know gold standard data sets to make sure it's performing well. If it's looking good, we launch. And if not, we kind of go back through that process, gather some more data, prioritize what's important and go through again and again. 
Awesome. Thank you, Mallory. James, I know you have thoughts here as well. Absolutely. I think Mallory covered the process really well, so I won't dive into it again, but I just want to take a step back and, and go over this idea of AI automatically getting smarter, not requiring humans, so to speak, in order to get smarter. You know, it's a common misconception. And let's circle back to ChatGPT. You know, it's kind of one of the flashiest forms of AI these days, but that itself also required a lot of human annotation. It represented an advance over prior models because what they did was instead of just predicting the next word in the sequence, they actually had human annotators go, take prompts, and actually fill in the desired completion. So they were instructing the model. And they went through several levels of this sort of process. But the idea is that even in this you know, really fancy form of AI, it still required um, human annotators. It still required this kind of more elaborate and, and long process. But just to circle back again on what we've been doing with our NLP, Mallory covered the process of uh, how we've uh, developed it. We've used it to build the first version of the system, but we're, you know, we use this sort of process to also incrementally improve our system. So for example, using this process, we've identified two, at least two new intents that we've wanted to add and that, and that we're going to be adding, which is corporate leases and uh, callback request. The, the main takeaway is that the model doesn't automatically get smarter just by interacting with prospects, but it requires a process of really identifying new piece of information, annotating for and training a model. Thank you. So we have to be very intentional about the areas that we choose to help our model get smarter. And that does require a lot of kind of strategy and work on the back end. As James just alluded to, ChatGPT has just taken the world by storm. But let's talk about the specific type of model they use, that large language model, and why it might be less appropriate at times for answering those prospect questions specific, specifically in, in the multifamily space. James, we'll come to you first. Sure, yeah. Like I said, ChatGPT was trained to reduce the amount of toxic or inappropriate text it generates, right? That's kind of how it was like the next version of, of the model that was deployed. But nonetheless, it still fabricates information, which also is very superficially plausible. Like it's incredibly convincing when it lies to you. This is a problem for all sorts of industries, of course, but for multifamily industry, it's a problem because I think there can be legal implications for providing false or misleading information about available apartments, right? For example, you say Unit 5 is available. People come see it. It's not available. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a false advertising thing at the end of the day. And it's also particularly relevant for sensitive topics like affordable housing. But I think beyond that, it leads to an awkward user experience when, for example, the model says that it's scheduled a tour for 2 p.m. when in fact it didn't. And then you come at that time. I think that's that's somewhat disastrous. And, you know, there's a price to be paid perhaps in lost business. Absolutely. Mallory, I would love your thoughts here as well. Yeah, I think James just about covered it on what makes something, you know, appropriate or not appropriate for interacting directly with a customer's customers in our in our world. So having that, you know, kind of human interaction in that as well is what's going to make it more appropriate going forwards or, you know, figuring out ways, you know, in the meantime, how we can reduce that to be very similar to what a real person would be if you had them on your team. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. If you're enjoying this conversation about AI, we would love to invite you to the forum, a limited attendance event for believers in a better operating model, where we'll dive deep on AI, centralization, and an improved customer experience. The event is March 27th through 29th at the Terranea Resort, and you can go to funnelleasing.com to learn more.
So given that we know that there are potential pitfalls of these types of models, let's talk about what we do at Funnel to make sure ChatGPT doesn't hallucinate when applied to our AI. James, as our lead data scientist building the product, there's probably nobody better suited to answer this than you. So we'll let you take this one. Sure, yeah, to, to minimize hallucinations. And again, what we mean by hallucinations is that it's just kind of making things up that are it's not grounded in truth. To minimize that, there are two kind of basic approaches. One is refining the, the prompt that you feed in, uh, into the model, kind of give it the instructions. But this is this is fairly limited. It's kind of like telling a three year old a three year old not to touch the hot stove, right? You tell them, but they still might do it anyways. Um, but another kind of somewhat more principal approach is um, fine tuning the model. So, at a very high level, what fine tuning is is basically creating your own personal Chat GPT or a Chat GPT for your company. I don't mean creating it from scratch, but I mean basically taking the model as it stands and then building upon it by feeding it your own custom data. So for example, I'll give you a very concrete uh, example of a hallucination that we've experienced. So we tell ChatGPT, for example, to be a, a leasing agent. And we also give it the pet policy that indicates the breed restrictions. And there's also a pet policy URL and so forth. And even though we give it that information and, and tell it to respond appropriately, sometimes it still gets the breed restrictions wrong. Or sometimes it gives you a completely fabricated URL. If you navigate to it, it wouldn't exist. Those are examples of hallucinations. How you can address them with fine tuning is we give the desired completion of this is how it should respond in those instances. It should provide the correct URL and it should buy provide the correct breed restriction. So this idea of fine tuning is, is is very powerful. You're you're using kind of the latent power of the model and then building upon it for your application. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks, James. And so given the power of these and that we know we can kind of harness the power into the appropriate arena, where is ChatGPT or these large language models better to leverage uh, in the multifamily space? Mallory, why don't you take the lead on this one? This is where we think about you know, the mundane and repeatable tasks again, uh, which much is covered by automation today and also AI as well. So like, you know, for example, just even sending a tour confirmation when a tour is scheduled is an easy automation. But there's still a lot of opportunities for this kind of tech to be more of a helping hand in a partially automated way, you know, where we can reduce human involvement by 90% or even 80% um, instead of 100. That's still quite a lot of uh, effort we're saving there. So, you know, maybe a step down is template setting, which may still need to be edited or fit into a broader message by an agent at the end and then, you know, click that send button. But it's still, you know, it's harder to predict predict without too much error. So we could like take it to that 80% to help out that leasing agent generate the email, um, just fill it in. I think that would be, you know, super easy coming off of a generative thing like this rather than the auto send. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Any any time savings, I'm sure our leasing associates out there would would welcome and, and take some uh, some sidekick help from AI. Uh, James, anything to add? Yeah, sure. I just want to provide three specific examples of how you can use ChatGPT in in places where it's kind of less critical, so to speak, to get it right. You know, when you're when you're sending an email automatically to a prospect, it's much more mission critical. You really have to make sure you're sending them the right thing. But there are many other sorts of applications that are less mission critical and where you kind of use the model in more of an advisory capacity. So the three examples I want to present are phone call summarization phone call or message rating, and message composer assistant. So the first one's pretty self-explanatory for uh, phone call summarization. What uh, We've already deployed this functionality, but it, what it does is it summarizes phone calls using a large language model. This provides value to leasing agents because they get information about a call 
quickly without having to parse a really long transcript, potentially. That's very difficult to follow. And sometimes it even lacks speaker des uh, designations. But for example, ChatGPT is still able to understand the meaning even without the speaker designations. It was also very easy to implement, only requiring uh, us to hit up the API with the transcript and the basic prompt. There's also a low risk of misinformation here because ChatGPT is asked to summarize existing content, not create new information, for example. And I think also a certain amount of information, misinformation is more tolerated here because, again, it's not prospect facing. It's just presented to the agent. But nonetheless, it saves some time. Second one, phone call or message rating. It's similar, but instead of summarizing, you're rating the call. So for example, you tell ChatGPT to rate the call on a scale of one to five. Uh, we've experimented with this in part. We found that ChatGPT is actually quite a harsh critic. I don't think it gave anyone above a three. <laughs> but the issue with this is that it's more subjective, right? Like who's to really say something's a two versus a three exactly? So I think the results have to be taken not so literally, more with a grain of salt. And they should be used instead to identify common issues that agents may be having. So something that, for example, you know, a site lead, could, a manager could use to identify trends and to address that on, on a team level. And then the final uh, thing I mentioned was Message Composer Assistant, which is just using an LLM to, for example, shorten uh, a pre-existing email an agent's about to send to make it more polite, to make the tone maybe more on-brand. And again, because it's used in advisory capacity, there's I think there's less risk of a hallucination. And there, there are companies that do these sorts of things, right? You know, not not just in multifamily, but generally. But yeah, like I said, these these are three, I think, you know, very important applications that are also somewhat lower risk. Love it. Thanks, James. We, yeah, we can all use a little help making our emails a little more succinct and polite and friendly. So that I love the lo love those examples. Well, we've talked about the power of AI and with great power comes great responsibility, especially in multifamily. Let's talk about the biases that can exist. So how do we reduce bias with AI or or potentially amplify pre-existing biases if you, if you do it incorrectly? James, I know you've spent a lot of time talking about this one. Can you catch us up on, on your thoughts? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think this is an incredibly uh, important subject these days, but generally, right? We want to make sure that we're servicing people in a very fair and equitable way. Now, I mean, we're, we're talking about computers here. So bias is not something that's explicitly programmed, but it comes about because of the patterns the algorithm identifies in the messages. And this is something that we don't anticipate. We're not trying to disadvantage or, or bias ourselves against our mentors. It's the algorithm just kind of detected those patterns in the data. So there's a famous saying in the machine learning community that says, garbage in, garbage out. So if you feed the training algorithm garbage, it's also going to return to you garbage. And I think if you want to adapt it to this instance, it's kind of bias in, bias out. So if your data set is biased, you're going to get a model that is also biased. So it's very important that your data set captures messages from all sorts of renters, and in particular, what we might call disadvantaged renters, who are renters with lower incomes, poor credit scores, or even criminal histories. We've also seen messages like that. And so to address those, it's very important to, in your data set, have messages from those renters, which we do because we have the power of our CRM, for example. We get all these sorts of messages unfiltered. Nonetheless, the messages from disadvantaged renters represent only a very small percentage of overall messages. So there are techniques you can use, for example, uh, they can be upsampled to increase their proportion in the overall data set. 
uh, mean the model will perform better on them. But re regardless of how you slice it, you also have to make sure that you're modeling the information those renters are talking about, what we kind of call content fields. So for example, we have a content field called affordable housing which as it implies, it just returns the policy on subsidized housing for the community. So in addition to the data, you also have to make sure that there are content fields that represent things like affordable housing and also potentially more nuanced things like I had mentioned about the criminal history, for example. And then the, the final thing, not to get too into the weeds, but you could also modify your algorithm a little bit to penalize the model more for getting, for getting content related to disadvantaged renters incorrect. Because if you didn't do that, then it would penalize messages from uh, other sorts of renters just as equally. But if you were really set on making sure that disadvantaged renters are treated fairly, you can penalize the model more when it gets it wrong. So it really tries to get it right. Thanks, James. That's really helpful. And, and Mallory, I know as the PM responsible for the, the AI roadmap, you spent a lot of time thinking about this as well. So catch us up on your thoughts on reducing bias. You know, an AI algorithm is blind to everything except the data it's given. You know, in our cases, particularly with renters, it's talking to other people. It's not looking at somebody's name, though, or their background. It's not taking in any of those data points because, of course, we don't we don't need them to answer a question. So everything's leveled in certain terms. But then to James's point, it's unleveled in other terms if we're only getting, you know, a small portion of messages from certain groups of people. So it's all probability in the end. So someone writes in in a different way than our model's ever seen. If they're, you know, using different dialects, something like that, it might not understand. But that is something that then we can take some of these more purposeful tactics to, to hit on, like upsampling. All right. Thank you both so much for all of the information. That is all the all of our pre-planned questions that we'd have. We'd love to open it up and ask the audience if there are any questions for our experts. It looks like we have one coming in right now. Do teams like working with AI? Does AI make a good teammate? I can go to take on. Yeah. Do you want to take this one, Mal? Go ahead. I can hit this one. Yeah. Uh, we have heard that AI is their favorite teammate. You know, they're, they're getting tour scheduled for them, handing over a hot lead over to an agent when they're ready. That way they kind of don't have to do any of that mundane, repeatable work that we've talked about a lot. Uh, it takes, takes the heat off of them for like grabbing every new lead in and getting responses out. So we're getting lots of cheerleaders on the on-site team saying that they, they love their new teammates. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah. I, I Yo, James, you, yeah, something to add? <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, I mean, uh, part of the fun the feature of our VLA is that you can customize the name of it. So different companies select different names. One of the names that a company has selected is Courtney. And I think we've had people come into the leasing office. Our AI, I guess, is so convincing that people come into the leasing office and they ask specifically for Courtney only to learn that you know, Corley's not an actual person, but in fact, AI. So I think it, it speaks to the quality of our AI. And obviously, I'm hoping that, you know, our clients and customers agree. Yeah, absolutely. S seeing the names that everyone comes up with for their uh, specific AI is one of my my favorite things about rolling out new companies. It's always fun to see the creativity in the brand come to life through AI as well. Another question coming in, what do you think is next for AI and multifamily? And what do renters ask about the most? What do they care about the most? James, why don't you take the first stab at this one? Sure. Yeah. In terms of what people ask about the most, what they care about the most, it's often along the lines of what you think, right? Um, a lot of questions about pricing and availability. Clearly, it's very important. Scheduling a tour, uh, pet policy, right? People need to make sure that they can they can bring their um, their, their loved one to to the community as well. Those are those are some of the main things. Of course, we've also analyzed kind of the the longer tail of of other sorts of things that that you can see. Um, for example, you know, I talked about some some 
disadvantaged renters, but there's also, you know, there's also office hours. Like I, I think I had mentioned uh, corporate leases and also requesting callback, all, all these other sorts of things that, that, that people are interested that, that help them rent an apartment. Cool. And Mallory, I know you dig into this data a lot. Anything else come to mind? Yeah. Now I think James kind of touched on a lot of these things and, you know, what renters are asking about the most may fall into like a big category, like pet policy, for example. But a lot of the times there's like some different distinctions within those questions. That's also something that we'll, we'll dig into that and kind of create all these like smaller intents, answering more specific questions for people rather than, you know, trying to regurgitate all the information we have at once. So looking at that's also very helpful for us. Love it. Well, thank you both so much. That is the the end of our time and the end of our questions. So I just want to thank everyone for tuning in with us today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have questions or ideas, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email or a voice memo to marketing at funnelleasing.com and we'll respond on the show.